You're listening to the Cobras and Fire Podcast, part of the Decibel Geek Podcast Network. As a bonus to our month-long Black Sabbath extravaganza, we have an interview with rock biography author extraordinaire Martin Popoff to talk about the Dio years. Enjoy. Welcome to the program, uh, Canadian and uh, author, two different things, uh, unrelated, uh, Martin Popoff. Martin, welcome to the program. Hey, thanks for having me, Jason. Very cool. Uh, I, I brought you on the show because you've done a lot of um, writing, and how many books on Black Sabbath have you released? Well, I had uh, Doom Let Loose, The Illustrated History. That was about 2005, so that was an all... all uh, you know, all of the full career yep. uh, book. It was full color throughout. And then I had Black Sabbath FAQ, which was really inside baseball, a lot of trivia. That was 140,000 words. And now I've repurposed um, the early year stuff from the Doom Let Loose and uh, recently, like last month, put out uh, Sabotage, Black Sabbath in the 70s, and I'm, uh, which is greatly, greatly expanded on that material. And then I'm going to do uh, Trashed, Black Sabbath in the 80s and 90s as a, as a follow-up book. So two full links there so at that point there'll be four i guess well uh you, you seem like the perfect guest to bring on to a uh black sabbath retrospective you don't you, you don't seem to be uh pigeonholed into one particular area you can cover it yeah. all correct sure hopefully <laughs> well uh we're uh, what i wanted to talk to you about was dio and uh, uh a little bit on um you know how he joined the band and but but the drama that surrounded live evil has always been fascinating to me um, through through all the talks and the people you've interviewed over the years and, and, the, and the books you've written, uh, what can you? What, is there any kind of insight you can lend us regarding like what was happening, you know, with the band at that time? I guess. Yeah, I mean, not a lot. Basically, uh, what what we have going on there is that you know Ronnie definitely he's the, he he's a great guy. He was a great interview. He was thoughtful, considerate, but he definitely was known to have a little bit of an ego as well. And and why not? He's a super talented guy. The other guys, um, you know, they they have their own way of doing things. You've got British guys, two British guys in the band. You've got two Italian Americans in the band, right? <laughs> um, and and basically, you know, I I think they were. Starting to um, butt heads on on a lot of things, and so coming up to live evil, um, you know, here they are playing live, and then you know, you you could tell almost um, how much Ronnie sings on that album, uh, where where you could tell that there was a little bit of an ego clash be, between who is really uh, leading this band, kind of thing. Okay, um, you know, I I don't I don't have a lot to back up that, but I I just get a sense that that you know, there's a little bit of 
Tony thinking this is my band and Ronnie thinking I'm the front man. This is kind of my band. We've done great. We've had a uh, platinum album. We've had a we've had a gold album. Um, it's still the 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 war is raging between uh, Ozzy doing even better than Black Sabbath, <laughs> at this point. but they're both they're both hockey arena bands at this point. They're both doing fine. Um, so there's a, there's a little bit of mostly friendly, mostly whatever. Um, but you know there is competition between these two camps. Um, and you know you say uh, between Ozzy and Black Sabbath, it, yeah, it Ozzy was is mostly like, friendly at that point. Um, I don't know that. I, I wouldn't say they were friendly. I would say even in the press they were sniping a little okay. bit. And Ronnie, Ronnie definitely would have his backup about. It. You know, it's it's like the classic Sammy Hager versus David Lee Roth. It's <laughs> it's identical. It's like one guy is is given the props for being the great frontman, and the other guy is given the props for being the great vocal technician, right? Okay. Yeah. So so anyway, so so at this point, there's already trouble in the band, problems in the band. Um, you know they've had they've had Sandy Perlman as manager. They they went through that whole uh, black and blue uh, friction thing touring with Blue Oyster Cult, etc. But from what I recall, uh, basically around Live Evil, um, there was there was the um, I I don't know if I can get this to- story completely straight uh, from memory, but there was definitely talk about how um, when they're mixing it, um, you know. Geezer and Tony would mix it one way and then they'd go home and then and then there was, you know, rumors that Ronnie would come in and turn his vocals up in the mix and stuff. Well, I think I think that has always been denied and it's been put down to uh, I I remember Ronnie, if I if I get this right, I think Ronnie was saying it was like a like an engineer who was drinking whiskey and was drunk all the time. It was him doing it. It wasn't me. Uh, Uh, That kind of thing. So so I think it I think it came down to. Um, you know, rumors or thinking this was happening and, uh, and, you know, a bit of subterfuge, not knowing who was, who was doing what, but, um, and nobody thought to take a look at the, uh, the, the, the sliders on the mixing board and (laughs) see if they were higher or lower. Yeah. I don't think this was completely (laughs) resolved, but basically, um, you know, they, they are, they are, have kind of gone down in history that this was uh, a big misunderstanding. Um, And obviously they got back together again twice later. Um, You know, obviously they they did fine together later on. Um, But I think they look back on it and look at it as as a big misunderstanding. But I I do get the feeling that... um, you know, there were definitely ego clashes along the way. But it, but it is funny how how in that era, um, Geezer was all all too happy to just give up being the lyricist of the band. I mean, he just ceded that territory to Ronnie and Ronnie ran with it. So I don't think there was a problem there. You know, you would you would have thought maybe there would have been like Geezer would have wanted to have his say on those records more so. But no, he was fine to have Ronnie do the lyrics. I think it was more just um more just ego clashes, you know. And, and like I say, I wonder if it really had more to do with the playing live, maybe even the running of the business of Black Sabbath. I know even at that point, doing as well as they were, I I, I think there were you know arguments over money and stuff as well, and and how things were being managed. So that's about all I know on that particular point. Was Dio already starting the the Dio band when they got into to mixing that? I would think he probably, uh, boy, I'm not, I'm not sure. I, I don't have my timeline straight or, or right in front of me, but basically this is around 1983. He was plotting this idea. I, I do remember, I do remember something about, 
boy, did he, did he already have a record deal to do a quote unquote solo album? Not too sure. Um, but obviously he hit the ground running mm-hmm. and he took Benny with him and uh, and they made great music immediately. So you wonder, you know, I, it's it's a really good point because you, you wonder if somehow, um, you know, we know the music was generated by by Vivian Campbell, more or less. Um, and I'm sure Jimmy Bain partic- participated as well. But you wonder if this was a little bit of a case of that classic, uh, you know, wondering if the guy in your band is holding back some of his best <laughs> material for something else he wants to do with it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, because it did happen pretty quick. Uh, uh, like you said, well, let's let's skip ahead to Dehumanizer. Now, at this point. Uh, is it more like like how did how did that end up like be, be being like looked at as a good idea by all parties? I know Geezer had left and kind of and met with Ronnie somewhere um, and and kind of felt good about it, but it seemed like you know Dio was still maybe you know a little more relevant than Black Sabbath at the time. How did he decide yeah. to rejoin? I guess. Yeah, I would say not. I mean, I would say both. Let's start with Black Sabbath. They they certainly weren't doing great business, um, you know, through the likes of Tear, Headless Cross. You know, people talk about that album having been relatively successful in Germany, but Eternal Idol, all of this, the Tony Martin years. Um, you know, there's some good music there, but it is a little bit Sabbath by numbers. You know, Tony, I, I think somewhat justly gets... Um, gets derided for being a little bit of a, a Ronnie clone in some of his vocal phrasings and things like that. Um, but no, so so first of all, Sabbath is not doing great at this time. Um, we know we know heavy metal, you know, standard sort of hair metal era is kind of ending, and the grunge era is coming in. And you know, the, the grunge guys um, had quite a bit of Sabbath in them. Uh, yeah. Sound- and Alice in Chains certainly, but no, Dio was was definitely falling off a cliff as well. I mean, he um, was not doing well through the likes of um, you know Lock Up the Wolves and Strange Highways that era. I, I mean, guess that's, that's correct. I wasn't really thinking that time. Right? It's a good point. Yeah, yeah, it started going down pretty fast with uh, with Sacred Heart, and there was the acrimonious um, you know break with Vivian, and then you know I love I love um, oh what the heck is the next album called? Oh. I can't believe I'm I'm blanking on this. Off anyway, of, uh, you're talking off the, after the Sacred Heart. The album. It's I I, lo- I love it as much as Last in Line. I can't remember the one with all the fools sailed away on it, right? It's called Dream Evil. Dream Evil. There we go. Dream, yeah. Okay. So I love Dream Evil. Um, but you know, all of a sudden the lineup's falling apart. Everybody's fighting over over dollars, and I don't like very much Lock Up the Wolves. I like Strange Highways a little more. But the interesting that starts happening there. So basically, you've got two bands just like the Deep Purple situation, exactly ten year or you know nine years earlier, say. Um, where where everybody's career was not going all that well and people were saying get back together you know at this point a little bit of rose-colored glasses you you think back fondly to exactly 10 years earlier where you did have a gold album that is considered now uh, you know a heavy metal classic in heaven and hell people love mob rules as well um you know grunge is happening hair metal's over there's a lot of turmoil in music um so so you know they get back together and um 
and they make a very, very different album compared to uh, what they were doing, you know, back in Heaven and Hell. But back then, it was more like a self-aware stadium rock version of Black Sabbath. Yeah, a little bit, a little bit sort of uh, too reflective, not not as daringly creative as the Aussie years, but just great, slick, good uh, stadium rock music. Well, so at this point, they get back together. They record with Mac. I know, you know, they spend a lot of money on this album. There's a lot of like, a, you know, going a, going a, across the Atlantic back and forth. Um, I, I know there were problems with Cozy Powell. Um, didn't, so he, didn't a horse fall on him or something like that? <laughs> yeah, I believe that's what happened. It started with Cozy. Um, and then, yeah, so he's uh, out. So, so they get the exact lineup back together again, right? Yeah. Um, right? They've got, yeah. Yeah, Vinny, got, Vinny came back after Cozy. Fell yeah. into, had a horse fall on him, <laughs> but they make very different music, and you wonder if it, it's somewhat. Um, it's it's not exactly influenced by grunge. I mean, you could say it is a little bit, but it's more influenced by the spirit of grunge, which is let's do something different and new and dark and uh, and radical. So it's got very radical production. Um, the songs are slow. Like this is Ronnie. Ronnie from from basically lock up the wolves which I think is 1990, till his death, loved slow heavy metal. I don't know what happened to him, but basically every record he made was slow. And and he and he um and you could tell that influence. He he definitely brought in the influence from from Lock Up the Wolves and Strange Highways into into um into that record. I hope I'm getting that right. Is Strange Highways out yet? Um I, I think know, it was but, after. I thought wasn't that I'm I, my memory says 94. Is it okay? Yeah, I, 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 that that rings a bell as well. So, so basically, um, yeah. But, but this is Ronnie. I mean, all of a sudden, basically every record he made from Lock Up the Wolves or Lock Out the, Lock Up the Wolves uh, on was slow. Every Dio album okay. he made was slow. All the Heaven and Hell stuff later was slow. Um, so, so this record was not that well received. It did not go gold. Um, you know, try as they might, they had TV crimes on there. Um, you know, there, there were a few things. Um, what was the other one called? It, it, some semi hits. Let's put it. That oh yeah. Way. What was, uh, but it didn't do well. They, they did not play. They did not, you know, they weren't playing big venues. Um, and basically it was a hard album to love because it was slow and it had this really gritty Mac production to it. It was radical. It was a good idea. Yeah, everybody, all Sabbath fans, myself included, keep going back to it and hoping they they love it again, and they never. <laughs> so that's uh, yeah, my I, I do that all the time with a lot of different artists. <laughs> uh, you, you know what record by Sabbath I've given way too much time attention to is Forbidden. Uh, I, I, right. I, I I don't even know I don't even know why I try, but I I'm sure I'll do it again. But uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, the one from that era. I mean, I, I love. I don't know why this is, but um, I instantly loved and I still love Eternal Idol. I just think it's almost as if every great Tony Martin song, by uh, by just some accident, fell onto that record, and and that record is pretty much great start to finish. I just love it, and 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 I and I don't love any of the other Tony Martin ones. One hundred percent agreed on mm -hmm. everything you just said. Uh, mm -hmm. I think the other Tony Martin records are they have their moments, but. Eternal Idol for me is front to back a great record. Yeah. Um, well, I'm trying. I'm looking at the, the the track listing. Well, it was like TV Crimes and Time Machine were like the two kind of singles, right? Or yes. maybe I. That was kind of a. Uh, I know that ended up on the Dio Years CD. Yeah. Um, 
But this all fell apart. We know why. Because Ozzy was going to quit. He was doing the No More Tours tour, invited Black Sabbath to come out and open up a couple shows at the end of the tour. And I side with Dio on this. I'm like, no. I mean, it would piss me yeah. off, too, if I was him. Yeah, and this is this is a, a little bit of that uh, that proof positive that there is a, uh, a uh, an ego thing going on as well. Like you've got Dio versus Ozzy. By this point, Ozzy has been a superstar mm-hmm. for basically twelve years. I mean, for a long, long time. He he was the guy that was selling all through that era. And even as grunge is 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 decimating every hair metal band, Ozzy has pretty much his biggest hit album in No More Tears and Osmosis does well. So so you get into the 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 harsh, you know, un, unyielding 90s and when it comes to friendliness to heavy metal and Ozzy is still just just like lapping it up and doing great. Yeah. So um so yeah, you you've got a you've got a funny situation where Black Sabbath they, we, this is no longer um you know, Diary of a Madman versus Mob Rules. This is more like, uh, you know, Tear versus No More Tears. <laughs> right? and, and, and it's like a, it's like just no contest, right? Oh, yeah. It is kind of weird how big No More to- Tears was. Uh, yeah. I love the record, but, boy, that thing was a monster at that time. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, so what's his, uh, Rob Halford fills in for those shows because Ronnie basically quits, correct? And, and Vinny hangs on, but then he's done. Yeah, and Ronnie goes back uh, to to his career of making these slow albums. Um, you know, he's he's got. Uh, you don't sound like much of a fan. <laughs> well, no, not really. I mean, I, I really like uh, Killing the Dragon because it kind of picks up a little bit. You know, um, Doug Aldrich gets in there and says, "Hey, let's make some kick-ass Dio, like uh, you know, like the late '80s Dio or mid '80s Dio." Um, but other than that, you know, Master of the Moon and uh, Magica and uh, and Angry Machines, they're all, you know, I, I actually like Angry Machines a fair bit. Um, to me, Angry Machines is very similar to uh, to Dehuman- Dehumanizer. Okay. Um, and I almost think it's almost a better version of Dehumanizer. Um, so, mm-hmm. yeah, those two kind of go together. And I've never actually thought that before. But, um, yeah, I, I actually uh, I actually do like that record. And I, I think, you know, I think with that sort of analog sound to it and a little bit of more oddity and a little more a little more velocity uh than you get on dehumanizer that's that's almost like what dehumanizer could have been um but yeah so so basically everybody goes back into the into the twilight years again except for sabbath when they have these periodic and you know kind of ongoing reunions with ozzy and uh and yeah. they're basically back in the limelight and their whole and their whole sort of um legacy uh, just keeps going up and up and up. Just in the subtle way, Iron Maidens kept going up until they're this massive band. Sabbath kind of had a patchy parallel universe version of that going on, um, where it's basically everybody decided all at once that um, Sabbath was just this great band mm. to be celebrated. And and you know, people like me and everybody was drumming, you know, drumming it into everybody at that point that Black Sabbath was absolutely the godfathers of heavy metal, the inventors of heavy metal. February 13th, 1970, you know, the Black Sabbath album comes out and they're basically, you know, the the first true absolute, this is the record that truly invents heavy metal. You just pulled the release date out of the top of your head. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. <that's- laughs> I can do that with one uh, one record. Uh, that's because it was released on my fourth birthday, and that's Kiss Hotter Than Hell. Uh, oh, yeah. Other than that, I, <laughs> I'm not yeah. that good, Martin. Um, 
Well, let me let me share you my thought on something and then get your opinion. Uh, okay. The deal comes back and they perform as heaven and hell uh, because of like I know I know they were legally fighting with Ozzy, but I actually thought it made sense not to go back at this point. They had kind of cemented that Black Sabbath was back. It was the four original members and Ozzy. And if they were going to bring in Dio again, and then because like you, like you just explained, all this kind of you know climbing and bring, you know getting their legacy almost bigger and bigger and bigger, uh, kind of like Kiss when they brought Ace and Peter back, it, it really you can't go back, you can't take the makeup off now. Um, uh, I think in the same way, it, it made sense that they they performed under a different name, even though it, you know a lot of people felt differently. Um, what are your thoughts on them not? going forward as Black Sabbath with the Heaven and Hell project. Yeah, I remember even talking to them about that and, and genuinely telling them not just kiss and kiss and butt, but I basically thought it was a very exciting and different and cool idea to, to rename it. And, and you know, the, the, the funny thing is no one's really done that before, um, which is rename the band, but they are the exact band. Yeah like a very legitimate band from from the early days who who had quite a lot of success. Um, so I thought it was kind of cool. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I think given the given the interweaving of the, all these reunions with Ozzy, um, it, it was a, a confusion lessening exercise as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but I just thought um, and this is the way I art- articulated it to them, too. I mean, we were kind of debating and discussing it. I just thought it was kind of um it kind of put a uh, a freshness and a newness on it and even like a like a little rebel attitude on it it's like you know what we have enough gas in the tank and, and we're confident in, our, in ourselves enough to know that we actually are a super legitimate version of black sabbath but just because we have so much gas in the tank we'll call it punch and judy if we want you know it doesn't matter we're, we're just like um, we're cool enough to do this and uh, and people know us and recognize us and know that we're cool enough to do this because damn it we're the band that made the heaven and hell album yeah uh the album was a little bit of a disappointment for me i think it's okay how did, how did you what are your thoughts yeah i, I kind of felt a little bit the same way i wanted to love it so much but it was so dense and so slow <laughs> and uh and you know, and also let's not forget. I mean, they they gave us a taster with I think it was three songs on the on the greatest hits. Correct. Uh, was, I forgot about that. So they kind of started with that, and then and then they kind of disoriented us even more by making it such a long album, essentially a double album, right? So so it's weird. There's no like single album anywhere to to compare it. You got three songs. And those three songs sounded exactly like the stuff off this album, too, which, again, it what bothers me a little bit. And people really, really get on my back when I say this. Um, but I found that that they were a little bit of a, a corrupted corporate version of Black Sabbath when they did Heaven and Hell and Mob Rules. They're a little bit huh. self-aware, second guessing, you know, you know, evil women, evil woman lyrics and all this stuff like it just. The jump from Never Say Die, which everybody puts down, but it's so crazy and artistic and weird. And and I'd gotten used to Black Sabbath being that way literally from the very first album. I mean, they were a pretty, you know, you could almost – I have buddies who've thrown them into the progressive metal category at times. Um, but so, so what I don't like is that, you know, there is a little bit of a signal from those three songs to the fact that this whole album – the arrangement – 
basically the the entire arrangements of all the songs and the sort of um and and the and the safe production which is sort of like a a more user-friendly version of the production almost like a cross between dehumanizer and mob rules production so you get this production that's great and all that but it's a production where you go this is not radical it's not it's not different and weird um and then you know you get Vinny, Vinny, you know, God love him. He's he's uh, he's one of my favorite drummers, and he did a lot to um, bring those songs to life. But there was so much like, you know, heft in the guitars and the bass and and the slowness and the velocities that even he couldn't bring a lot of these songs to life. Good lyrics, um, and and you know, some of those songs maybe. I, again, I, I think I think had they, you know, just conjecture here, had they made a kick-ass 12-song album and four of those songs were long and slow and the rest were fast and maybe short and you had a Neon Knights on there, um, I, I think I think it would have made a little bit of a difference. But, yeah, it just seemed like this smothering, claustrophobic, long <laughs> um, thing of really professional, cool stuff. And it had some integrity to it in the fact that it was not outwardly bright and commercial, but it was just way too much of that of that one thing. There just, there just wasn't an aha moment for me, something that, that got my ears perked up listening to it. Uh, I'm yeah. looking at these song titles, and most of them, I, I don't recall how they go. <laughs> you know? Exactly. Yeah. Um, well, uh, any general thoughts on the whole uh, Dio uh, version of Black Sabbath? Well, it's it's pretty remarkable that it happened three times, yeah. right? Which is pretty cool. Um, but yeah, I mean, I'll tell you, I'm I'm right in the middle of these uh, redoing. I'm doing the top 250 heavy metal songs of the 1970s, the 80s, and the 90s. It's going to be a trilogy of books, and uh, I'll tell you, um, Sabbath rules the 70s book. Uh, Heaven and Hell as a song almost wins the 80s book it's super high up there and a bunch of dehumanizer songs are making the 90s book so people people love all those eras and you know i would just just in the same strange way that painkiller has almost become almost the greatest judas priest album when when uh, you know these poll results come in people love painkiller even when i did the original uh book back in uh, 2003 2004 painkiller the song and album did amazing i'll tell you um, I think I think just as as time goes on and as as you know basically metalhead you, you get thirty and forty year old metalheads and millions of them. Um, I I wouldn't doubt it if if you know you, you go out and start taking polls and heaven and hell is polls as the greatest Black Sabbath album of all time. So um, no the you know I I think as time goes on the Dio era will just do do just fine um, in in terms of people loving that stuff. People love Mob Rules too. I love Mob Rules too. So no, it, it was a it was a great era for the band. And uh, if we hadn't had the Dio era, I don't I don't think Black Sabbath would have have nearly as high a profile as as it has now. Yeah, I think that's valid. Um, uh, overall, what's your favorite Black Sabbath record? 
I would say sabotage nice. um, has been for a long, long time. Uh, I just find it like super creative and heavy and like just surprising and proggy and just crazy dark. You know, they're going through all that stuff with uh, getting served the writs and going through management problems and where's all our money. And they're all, you know, drugging and drinking. And and, you know, it's it's one of those crazy uh, cases where you think all of that actually helped uh, the, the creative thing. Um, but yeah, I mean, heaven and hell, I mean, like I said, people love that album. It's, it's bright. It's different. It's got probably one of Martin Birch's best production jobs. It's Agreed. Got kind of like a, like a, like a claustrophobic, um, you know, everything's kind of pushed to the low end of the mid range. Uh, well, all of the mid range is there, put it that way. It's <laughs> actually has a lot of treble too. I guess what it's missing is a lot of low, low bass. Um, I think it sounds great. It, I love that. Yeah, record. it sounds great. It's just super bright for that reason. <clears throat> but, uh, yeah, I would say sabotage. And, uh, and even after that, it wouldn't be heaven and hell next. It would probably be something like Sabbath, bloody Sabbath. And then you'd have heaven and hell fighting out, out with the likes of, uh, God forbid, never say die and technical ecstasy, really. I mean, that's sacrilege. I mean, people, people generally, when they are pulled, they, they, they go for either paranoid and heaven and hell, I think. Yeah. I, well, sabotage is my all time favorite. It has been cool. like, like you said, a long time too. Um, yeah. Uh, so yeah, we're we're, we're mind melding today with that and the eternal yes. idol comment. So, uh, well, I really do appreciate your time. Uh, do you have anything you'd like to uh, plug? Because this definitely is long enough. I'll throw this entire interview up uh, as a standalone um, to go coincide with our special Black Sabbath features this month. Yeah, I, I guess uh, I guess the main thing to just keep it topical and simple. I do have a new Black Sabbath book out called uh, Sabotage: Black Sabbath in the Seventies. It's one hundred and twenty-nine thousand words, and it just is those first eight albums. Um, and I will be doing a, uh, a follow-up to that. That'll be eighties and nineties. But yeah, just out now: uh, Sabotage: Black Sabbath in the Seventies. And I. Uh, I sign and uh, mail order my books all the time, and they're all available. There's uh, probably 45 titles or so that are still in print and available. I sign and ship them out right here from Toronto, and that's at uh, martinpopoff.com. How do you uh, um, find time to write 44 books? Uh, It's actually 80 books. Oh, sorry. But, but it's 44-ish in print right now, right? And some of them, granted, are, like I say, repurposing, um, you know, um, the, the older stuff when it does go out of print because it's terrible having this stuff out of print. I mean, Black Sabbath Doom Let Loose has been out of print for something like seven or eight years. Oh, right? I should have taken a, care of it better. <laughs> yeah, it's like a $150 collectible kind of thing. Yeah, and the not mine. The pages are falling out. <laughs> yeah, so, so, no, I, I do I do a lot of that where or lately where I'm, where I'm like greatly expanding and repurposing this stuff but no i mean the the way to get around to it all is is i'm one of the rare guys where writing these books is more or less my full-time job there's not a lot of rock journalism left i mean i do some Uh, i work for banger films on a lot of the documentaries and even do transcribe there um but um but no i mean i i would say my main job by far is writing these books and i i do self-publish quite a few of them and i find that works out exactly the same as working with a publisher but what that means is i do get a lot of titles out i think i had 12 books out this year um but my main business really is the mail order of these things all right you're like the prince of writing books yeah, <laughs> I suppose so. I mean, D- Dave Thompson, I, I always thought this is crazy. The guy has like 100 books out, you know, and, and now I'm kind of approaching that. So it's, it is weird. 
<laughs> well, again, Martin, I really appreciate you doing this and chiming in and, and adding a little color to our our uh, Dio era of the Black Very Sabbath cool. retrospective. So, all right, I hope I don't tick off too many people with uh, with slamming that stuff too hard. But yeah, that's uh, I hope you do. Uh, that's you uh, it, it is, keeps things right? rolling, right? Yeah. <laughs> no. Very cool. All right. Hey, uh, thanks a lot, Martin. Um, again, uh, kind of last minute. I really appreciate you finding the time. Uh, okay, sounds good. Take care. Chat, chat again soon. All right, see ya. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.